Get Your House in Order, by Brother Tim Aaron. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order. For you shall die, you shall not recover. 2 Kings 22 verse 1, ESV. Brother Tim Aaron brings the word of God for the end time. You can find more information about Brother Tim Aaron at www.thiefinthenightministries.com. And here is Brother Tim Aaron. Glory to glory to glory to God. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for tuning in to another broadcast of Get Your House in Order. I'm your host, Tim Aaron. Again, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you have been enjoying the previous teachings and lessons and discussions of Get Your House in Order. Uh, this ministry tries to do uh, its best to keep it 100% Bible. <clears throat> That's extremely important. Uh, what I think a lot of uh, ministries, a lot of mistakes uh, ministries make is they fail to keep it Bible. They interject or put in a lot of culture into uh, Bible teaching as if their culture is the word of God. And that's a huge mistake. We got to be aware of that. You know, we grow up in society and in traditions and culture and, and that can influence us, influence us. That can have a profound influence on how we understand truth. And so uh, you have to be willing to take off and put down tradition and culture when it comes to the Bible and allow the Holy Ghost to speak to you through his word. And the way you do that is interpret scripture by scripture. Keep it 100% Bible. You know, that's the safest and best way to understand the word of God, especially using, you always got to use the King James Version. I have found that Bibles printed uh, early before the 1900s. Any Bibles printed before the 1900s tend to not, compromise uh, the, their translations that much. But once you get into the 1900s, especially the 1950s, 1960s, or, or, or the 1970s, 2010, you know, some Bibles are 2007. And when you get that new, you can best believe you are getting a ton, a ton of culture uh, mixed up with the translation. And it's leading you down a path that was never intended. So just keep that in mind. You have to understand this. Um, the earlier the translation, the better, in my opinion. You know, I have found the Young's literal translation. I believe it was printed in the 1800s to be one of the safest translations in the English. That's my opinion, along with the King James. But sometimes the Young's literal translation even outdoes the King James, right? Uh, but keep that in mind when you study in the Bible that the, you know, look at what version you're reading and see when it was published. If it was published in the 1900s or in the 2000s, it's, it, it's probably not a good translation. It's probably got a ton 
of American culture in it or English culture in it. Okay. And so you have to recognize that. And it's, and it's not really giving you or allowing you to really hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. Okay. I thought that was good to say that was for somebody out there. But before I go any further, I always like to open up the show with an invitation to accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You know, about 2000 years ago, Jesus came to the earth through the door, through the Virgin Mary. And um, he came and he did wonderful, amazing, marvelous things. You know, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He uh, he turned the water into wine at a wedding. Uh, he walked on water. He opened deaf ears. He opened blinded eyes. You know, he did a ton of wonderful things. He took two fish and five loaves of bread and fed 5,000 besides women and children. He fed 5,000 men and women and children. So it was more than 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. I mean, he was a, an outstanding miracle worker. You know, that's another thing. I, I hate when people want to water down the word miracle. They call everything a miracle nowadays. And that's that's watering watering the word down when you do that. Jesus did real amazing, breathtaking miracles, you know, and, and, and uh, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in those days. Uh, but he did these things, but even though these things were great, even though these things were wonderful, he made haters. People, some people were not a part of his bandwagon wagon. Some people despised him because what ended up happening, he stole a lot of their fan base. And when you steal people's fan base, that means you taking away their money a lot of times. And so Jesus developed haters and people uh, wanted to see Jesus gone. They wanted to see Jesus dead. And so they falsely accused Jesus and he was arrested. And the Roman soldiers spit on him and mocked him and slapped him and punched him. And then they placed a crown of thorns on his head till blood started running down his face. Then they nailed him to a tree, to a cross where he eventually died on the cross. Now it was done for evil, but it was the most good of all times. Why? Because his death, he was able to accomplish his primary goal to reconcile man back to God. That was his primary goal to begin with. And it was his death that accomplished that. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10 and 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen. Hopefully you are saved already, but if you have, have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, why don't you do so? All you have to do is confess you are a sinner and ask Jesus to come into your heart, to your mind, to your soul, and become Lord, Lord over your life. And then from that day forward, begin to study uh, his ways in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talks all about Jesus and the rest of the New Testament. And even, even a lot of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Begin to learn his ways, and then it's on from there. You are saved. You are saved. You are saved.
by grace. Amen. Hopefully you made that decision. If you have, it's the best decision you can ever make in your entire life. Okay, let's get on with today's topic. Today's topic is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is the title of this week's topic. Um, This ministry, we talk end times primarily. Um, End times is, um, is a very critical topic to talk about because I definitely believe we are right at the end times. And um, this ministry believes that the rapture takes place um, after the Great Tribulation. You know, people talk pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. This ministry is a post-tribulation ministry. We teach the rapture takes place at the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is the last day. And so based on John chapter 6, Verses 39, um, I believe it's 39, 41, 44, and 54. I believe those are the four verses where Jesus says at the last day, he's going to gather all them that belong to him. Again, he's going to gather all those that are his at the last day. So based on that scripture and other scriptures is why this ministry really believes the rapture takes place at the last day at the second coming of Jesus Christ in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet. Once again, according to Matthew chapter 24, the last trumpet takes place at the last day, starting at the 29th verse. The last trumpet takes place at the last day, which the apostle Paul describes the rapture in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 53, I believe. So, I just wanted to establish that and uh, this ministry loves talking about the end times. And so I would love to hear from you, from you if you have any questions or comments. But this week, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is primarily a, mar- uh, uh, a chapter about marriage. And marriage is a very critical part of the Christian walk, a part of the Christian life, and a part of the end times as well. You know, part of the end times, um, Matthew... I mean, uh, Revelations chapter 19 talks about the bride of Christ, uh, how we're going to be made ready to meet our Lord. And, you know, Lord is also translated as husband in the Bible. And we are the bride, you know. So marriage is a very, very important part of the Christian walk. And it's very important for the believers to get this right, to get a good understanding of what marriage means to God, not television. Not Oprah, not Dr. Phil, but according to the word of God, not popular opinion, but according to the word of God, Uh, not according to states and governments and countries, but according to the word of God is critical, is critical. And this is this is where I believe Satan is really getting most of his victory in the area of a failed marriage and fornication. So. We need to talk about this more and more and more in our Bible studies and our churches. We need to hear more sermons preached about preached on marriage and in detail uh, because we are not doing a good job. Uh, that's just I ain't, ain't no other way of saying it. You know, we got a lot of bitterness and strife and contention amongst Christian couples. 
lot of divorce amongst Christian couples. Uh, it, it happens all the time. You know, some of our popular ministries on television are divorcing. Not to mention the Christian marriages in your community are divorcing and they're bitter and there's lawyer, uh, getting lawyers and, 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 and going against one another. And is this, is this a shame? It's a shame for the, for the family of Christ, for the body of Christ. So, uh, first Corinthians chapter seven, um, let's start by reading, uh, verses one through 11. And then we're going to go back and look at key verses and talk about key verses. So let's start at first Corinthians chapter seven, verse one, and we're going to read one through 11. Okay. It says now concerning the things whereof, now I'm reading the King James version, where ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Uh, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife has not power over her own body, but the husband and likewise also the husband hath not power uh, of his own body, but the wife defraud ye not one the other, except it be for consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. Verse seven, for I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and the other after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking, verse 9. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried and be reconciled unto her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. Okay, let's stop right there. A lot was said right there. So let's go back up. And uh, so this is a letter, obviously, that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about marriage because he was uh, a letter was written to Paul about this. So he's replying. And I want to look at verse two to begin with. Uh, I want to clear. I want to I want to point out something that I noticed. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. So nevertheless, to avoid fornication, get married is what he's saying. So marriage is the antidote for fornication. If you don't want to be a fornicator, he's saying get married. If you can do so, if you, if you having trouble, you know, stand single, get married to avoid fornication. Cause you don't want to get so hungry. Okay that you slip up one day and buy a prostitute 
or you don't want to get so hungry that you, you your, your flesh gets weak and then you lay with another man's wife because she was convenient, you know, a uh, woman that you've been working side by side with on the job. She's married and she's vulnerable. You you know, he says, so avoid fornication, getting married, getting married. That will bring some balance to your life. Um, <clears throat> I also want to point out something that I noticed. He said, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. Now, some have taught this scripture is teaching that men and women have equal authority in the marriage, you know. And um, so I thought about that. And I thought about that. And then I looked a little deeper and found out that the Apostle Paul was being a little bit more specific in this verse of scripture here than the English translators showed us or that the English translators um, were able to convert. Let me explain what I'm talking about. He says, nevertheless, now he wrote this in, originally in Greek. He said, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his hewatu wife, okay? And let every woman have her idios husband. Yeah, that's right. The apostle Paul in the original text, he used two different words. He said when he was speaking to the man, he said hewatu for own. Key word here is own. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own hewatu wife and let every woman have her own idios husband. He used two different words. Now, why the English translators did not make accommodations, specific accommodations for this translation. I don't, I do not know. Uh, the Young's literal translation does a better job of, um, of uh, showing this. So if you got a Young's literal translation, um, look it up. I believe it reads, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her proper husband. It changes it up to let you know that, a more specific ideal by the author was used there. Okay. Now you don't even have to understand, you know, Greek to realize that the apostle Paul was being more specific than the English translation here in the King James version or most other versions, American standard, new American standard, uh, NIV, um, living word Bible, all of them never accommodate this verse of scripture like it was intended by the Apostle Paul. He was being more specific. He did not want to suggest that men and women have equal authority in marriage because he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that men are the head of their wives. He goes on to say that. Uh, in Timothy, I believe it's chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe he says that, that woman was made for the man, not the man for the woman. And then... Um, of course, um, um, Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, he instructs specifically the wives submit themselves to their husband. And of course, uh, I believe in um, Colossians chapter two, he, com he commands wives to com submit their themselves to their husbands. First Peter chapter three, Peter commands 
women to be in subjection to their own husbands. So it's a consistency there that it's not a, a equal authority relationship. Make no mistake about that. That's important to understand because I believe this is where a lot of people are getting there in trouble in their marriages, thinking it is a 50, 50 uh, equal authority partnership. And it never was intended to be that way. Okay. So remember that, keep that in mind when you're reading this verse of scripture in the future. Okay. Um, let's go on down to verse three. He says, let the husband render unto the wife do benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Um, verse four, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now here's that word on again. Now guess which word the apostle Paul used here. He used idios. So let's look at huatu and idios. Huatu is a Greek word that does mean ownership, ownership. So back at verse two, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. He's given the man ownership, authority over the wife. And then he says, let every woman have her idios husband. Idios is a word that means association with, uh, to belong to, to be a part of. It, it would be just like if I was to say, my own church or my own school. It's not to suggest that I am the owner. It is to suggest that I am a part of that school or that church, or I am a part of, or I am associated with that church or our school. That's what idios does. So he gives the woman idios association uh, to belong to, to be a part of a husband. But when he comes to the husband, he uses huatu, which is ownership and authority. Okay. That's, so he is trying to get this across and um, the King James translators just dropped the ball on that scripture altogether. And, 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 you know, things fell through the cracks. So this is good stuff. It's Bible truth. Anytime you get Bible truth by uh, the, Jesus said, ye shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free, right? So we need truth. We need, anytime we can get Bible truth, we need it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's go down a little bit more. Defraud ye not one another. Verse five, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontendency for your lack of self-control. Um, Apostle Paul understands that the average person, they get horny, okay? They get, they they feel a little freaky at times. And he's letting you know, uh, don't defraud one another, take care of one another, you know, because you don't want to give place to the devil. Like I was saying earlier, you know, um, nevertheless to avoid fornication, get married. So he's very, uh, consistent with his point making on this. Okay. Um, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. So he's giving his advice here. It's not a commandment of the Lord. It's this is advice. Verse seven, for I would that all men 
or even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that manner. Um, so Paul is talking about his singleness here. Paul was a single man. He was not married. Okay. And now that becomes very clear throughout this chapter. Now, some people, for whatever reason, teach that he was once married. And I don't know where they get that because um, the Bible never said he was. Uh, but, you know, some some um, people who like to read other sources other than the Bible, you know, they 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 get that he was part of the Sanhedrin Council and the, and the requirements of being a part of that council was that you had to be married. So he was married, apparently, at one time. So his wife probably died or she was probably, uh, um, you know, a, a woman that, that backslid and, and, and left him or something, you know. But I don't I don't go down that street because I don't see that in the Bible. And like I said at the beginning of the broadcast, you know, unless the Bible teach it, I stay away from it. You know, I stay away from it. I don't because everybody got something fancy to say. You know, that sounds good and that makes a lot of sense or, you know, whatever. But I don't I don't go down that street. Uh, it's, it's obvious that Paul was a single man and I believe he always was a single man. Uh, Bible never mentions him ever having a wife or children. Okay, so he says, um, verse seven, for I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man has his proper gift of God, one after this manner and, and, and the other after that manner. Now, he calls the ability to, to remain single a gift, and he calls um, the ability to marry a gift. Okay, they're both gifts. You know, and he says, you got to know yourself. You got to know yourself and you got to and you got to uh, recognize who you are and walk in who you are. OK. OK. Verse eight. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows. It is good for them if they abide even as I single. OK. Verse nine. But if they cannot contain. Let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Okay. Now, when I was a child, I thought that meant to burn in hell because you committed fornication, which that makes a little sense. But later on, after listening to a lot of ministries and um, going to church, some teach that this meant to burn with lust. You know, instead of being horny all the time, wishing you know, that you can have companionship, wishing that you can, you know, embrace someone of the opposite, opposite sex. He said, hey, get married for it's better to marry than to burn. You know, he let you know. Verse, verse 10 and 11. Now, these are the forbidden divorce scriptures. Okay. And unto the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she departs, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled unto her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. Um, so that's a heavy scripture there. And, uh, 
the Apostle Paul is teaching the church of Corinth, the believers in Corinth, that there ought not to be no divorcing, no divorcing. Now, I notice something here. I notice a consistent pattern throughout the New Testament. When Paul or Peter gives marriage advice, they always address the woman first. Um, Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 22, when they are addressing marriage, that's when they, that's when that chapter starts addressing marriage, but he starts with the woman first. Uh, I believe it's Colossians chapter two. I want to say he addresses the woman first. Um, first Peter chapter three, the very first scripture, Peter addresses the woman first. I believe the Holy Spirit is teaching us something here that Satan, just like at the beginning, he goes after the woman first. He goes after the woman first. So women, be on guard. Watch out. Television is full of suggestions, full of worldly wisdom. And we have to understand this. We have to understand, be on guard. TV is not your friend. Now, I have a nice TV in my house. I, I, I like the big, clear, flat screen and everything. I like to watch my sports and I like to watch the news and I like to watch a good movie every now and then. But be on guard. Television is full of evil, subliminal messages. That means messages that come in under your consciousness and, and, and it sneaks in. We had a lot of suggestions and a lot of standards that are ungodly. Satan is all throughout the television from movies to situation comedies to dramas to reality TV to commercials to cartoons. Satan is in it all. He's in it all. So Peter and Paul both uh, always want to address the woman first because that's what Satan, he likes when it comes to marriage, he likes to go to the woman first. We see that in the garden, right? So keep that in mind, okay? So we are not to have divorces like we are seeing in the church. We need to emphasize this, preachers, bishops, Sunday school teachers. We need to remind our congregation, our Christian believing, spirit-filled Christ congregation that divorces are not permitted by the Lord. Now, of course, Jesus gives us one exception for divorce. One exception for, for divorce. Now, here's the thing about exceptions. The minute uh, an, an exception is given, that means you have to give all exceptions. So if Jesus only gave one exception, that means there's only one. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. Okay. Uh, so now that's, um, let's go down to, let's read verses 12 through 14. Verses 12 through 14. Okay. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 12 through 14. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. So he's giving his advice here. 
talking about the apostle Paul, if any brother hath a wife that believeth not and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Okay. So let's say, uh, let's say, uh, well, let, let me read verse 13. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For, verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the believing wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are holy, but now are they holy. Okay, um, verses 12 and 13, you know, two people, they get married while they are sinners. One gets saved and the other one uh, stays worldly or stays unsaved. Uh, so the Apostle Paul is letting you know, if they are happy to still be with you, don't get a divorce just because they are not saved. That's not what you're supposed to do, because the goal is always in marriage to stay together even if one is saved and the other one is not saved. Okay. Um, you know, um, I was at work one time and this unsaved woman um, was asking me, do I think that she ought to get a divorce because her husband is very abusive, you know, and, uh, you know, he goes out and comes back at all hours of the night and he has one night stands and he, you know, he, he drinks and get drunk and, you know, he's just living on the edge. And, and then she's unsaved as well because she likes to go to the club and drink and, and get drunk from time to time. And, and, um, she cusses a lot. You know, that's the number one way you could tell if somebody is serious about the Lord by the words that come out of their mouth. You know, a true redeemed Christian don't use any kind of word. So that's how I knew that she was not saved. And um, when she was talking about it and she was thinking that, you know, he was going to end up killing her or something because he he gets kind of aggressive and dangerous and points guns at her. And so I said, yeah, you should get a divorce. And somebody would say, well, that's not what the Bible say. Well, what you have to understand is this, when Jesus, Peter, or Paul are teaching the word of God, they're teaching this to believers, okay, to believers. So these were two unbelievers, and she could have come up dead, because when you're not saved, you don't have the grace of God on your life, you don't have the favor of God on your life, you might have some mercy, but you don't have the, the, uh, sanctified, uh, holy protection on your life that saved people have. Okay. So to, to, to make my point, you know, when an unsaved person is dealing with another unsaved person, you need to take every common sense measure you can take to be safe. You need to have every bit of insurance you can get. Uh, you need to have, um, you need to save every last single dollar you can, you need to have every uh, kind of uh, medical plan you can, because guess what? You are unsaved. You don't have the protection of God on your life. You need to do all you can, you know, to save yourself. 
if you're not saved by Jesus Christ. So yeah, I mean, yeah, if you, if you feel threatened, I would like to hear you need to you need to do what you can do to get you know to save yourself. Now, if you take that same situation, and if that woman had been saved, then my answer would have been totally different. My answer would have been no, according to uh, the commandments of the Lord, and you being a Christian woman, the Bible commands you to stay with that man. You know, and you got to have faith that the Lord is going to deal with that man for you. Just like we saw in um, in First um, Samuel, uh, the book of Samuel, Abigail, the Bible talked about how godly and beautiful and smart she was. And she had a wicked and evil husband. And the Bible said that God took that took that man out of her life. The man had a stroke all of a sudden and just died. So God knows how to divorce you. But he, but he commands us not to divorce. Okay. So I hope that was for somebody out there. You know, the, 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 the Bible teachings are for believers. It's not for the unsaved. The unsaved got to do whatever they got to do, you know, to save themselves. Okay. So, um, I left off at, uh, verse 14, um, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy? Now, what this is letting us know is when one saved um, parent or spouse is in that family, that family is sanctified, sanctified. And, and the children are holy. Okay. You know, some somebody asked one time, do all children go to heaven? And most most ministries just tell you, yes, they will. But that's not true. According to the Bible, uh, Isaiah, the prophet, uh, chapter 13, talks about the wicked. That means an unsaved man and an unsaved woman. Their children are going to experience the wrath of God just like they are uh, the the. Isaiah chapter 13 says that it will not spare for the little ones, for the children. The wrath of God is going to butcher the children along with the wicked parents. And the Bible's clear that the wrath of God is for the wicked. And anyone that experiences the wrath of God will not inherit the kingdom of God or will not be in heaven. Uh, because your name has to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelations make that very clear. So that one saved person in the family pays great dividends for that entire family. So this is another reason why uh, divorce is Satan's will, because Satan loves to divide, to divide and conquer. But if that one saved spouse will keep that family together and they will stay together, then the children are holy. All right. This is good stuff. Okay, let's go down to um let's read verses 15 and 16. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has caused uh, called us to peace. For what knoweth thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knoweth thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Okay. 
So, you know, if you saved and you have an unsaved spouse and that unsaved spouse decides that, you know, you boring. All you want to do is go to church. All you want to do is square things. You don't want to have no fun. You know, you don't want to drink. You don't want to go to the club. You don't want to party. You don't want to get high and smoke a little weed every night. You know, so if they, if they decide, decide you boring and decide they want to leave you and go live their life, you know, Paul says, let them go. They, they're doing you a favor. They're doing you a favor. Let them go. And you're free to marry again. Now, this is interesting because Jesus gives some teachings on remarriage. And let's see what Jesus has to say. See, um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. We're going to look at Luke. No, we're going to look at um, Mark chapter 10, 11 through 12. And we're going to look at Luke 16 and 18. Okay. So let's first go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. You see what Jesus, uh, he gives instructions about remarriage here. Uh, he says, but I say unto you, Matthew chapter five, verse 32, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornica fornication, except for the reason of fornication causes her to commit adultery and whosoever shall marrieth her, that is divorce, committeth adultery. Wow. So it sounds like here. There is not supposed to be no remarriage. Okay. Hmm. Let's go to um, Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication. This is not the same scripture. This is not the same setting. This is not the same conversation because this is the book of Matthew uh, again. The first verse uh, the first verse was in Matthew chapter five. This verse is in Matthew chapter 19. So this is a totally different conversation. And Jesus is mentioning this again. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doeth commit adultery. So Jesus is letting you know there is not supposed to be no remarriage here again. What is the difference? Is Jesus and the Apostle Paul saying two different things? No, they're not. And I'm explain here in a minute why they are not. And another thing I want to point out, why it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair or right that if a man puts away his wife, that she can't remarry. But he says here in Matthew chapter 5, 32, and in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, that if a man puts away his wife, that she can't remarry. That she can't remarry. Why is how is that? That don't even sound right and fair. Seems like if he put her away, then she should be free to marry whoever she wants to marry. But he says no. And he says, and if the next man comes along and wants to marry her, he could he's committing adultery. Wow, this is some heavyweight stuff. Let's go on to Mark chapter 10. I'm gonna explain this stuff here in a minute. Verses 11 through 12, Mark 10, 11 through 12. And he said unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife and marrieth 
another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman should put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Okay. So no, 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 no divorcing and remarrying. Okay. So what is the apostle Paul saying different than what Jesus is saying? One more. Luke 16 and 18. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her that is put away from her husband, committeth adultery. Now here, Luke is recording the same thing that, that Matthew did when he mentions that not only can a husband or a wife remarry, the wife, if she has been divorced, she can't remarry even though she's been put away. That seems so unfair, right? Well, question A, is Jesus and Paul saying something or, or, or a disagreement? And that's no, no. Once again, the Apostle Paul is addressing in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, he is, he is addressing the unbeliever, okay? If a Christian person has an unbelieving husband, let's say y'all was both unsaved and y'all hooked up and got married and then you got saved and then, but the other spouse, but the spouse didn't, okay? And then they decide to leave you. Okay, that's that unsaved person is not held by the commandments of Christ. So you have a right to marry, but you have to marry a believer. He's letting you know you have to marry a believer. Uh, he goes on to say that in First Corinthians chapter seven, uh, further further at the end. But he's like, you're not you're not condemned to singleness if your unbelieving spouse has departed. You can marry again. So that's the exception the Apostle Paul brings to the table. Now, Jesus is talking to all those who are following him. The New Testament standards for Christianity. If you are a Christian husband, if you're a Christian wife, then you have to live by these commandments. Jesus is not talking to people who are not trying to follow him. He's talking to those who are trying to follow him. So that's the difference. Okay, so that's question number, that's the question number A. Question number B, why is it that if a man puts away his wife that she cannot remarry? Well, <clears throat> there is two points of view I have on that, okay? I believe this is Jesus's way of keeping women from being bad wives on purpose, Okay. Uh, back in those days, you know, um, parents would arrange marriages for their daughters and not every time those daughters like that husband that they had been prearranged to marry. They might not want to be with him or they might not think he looks so hot or he might not uh, have the swag that she wants or whatever the case may be. You know, that might, that might not be what she had in mind. But nonetheless, marriage is marriage. And, you know, so so that a woman would not reason within herself, I'm going to be a bad wife on purpose so he will divorce me and then I can marry another man. This is one strong possibility why Jesus says it the way he says it. OK, 
another possibility, um, <clears throat> I believe, is found in First uh, Peter chapter three. Let's go there. First Peter chapter three. It says, likewise, verse one, likewise, you wise be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Wow. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of platinum of hair of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Verse four, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of, of great price. Okay. So what Peter is saying here is that women have an anointing. Women have the ability to make a marriage work. God has graced women with that ability to make a marriage work that she don't even have to say a word just the way she carries herself. Peter's letting you know here that she can win her husband over to the Lord if he's unsaved. So women have, have this grace, this anointing, this favor to keep a marriage together. And this is why God doesn't give women a way out. Uh, I'm thinking about also back in Genesis Jacob, he married two women, two sisters. He married Leah and he married Rachel. He wanted Rachel to begin with. He did not want Leah, but he was tricked into marrying Leah first. And he had to make the best of the situation. But the Bible was clear that he did not love Leah. He loved Rachel. Okay. But it's very interesting because over the course of their whole life, all three of them, you know, um, Leah was having babies and she was there and she was doing, you know, uh, what women do back then. And so was Rachel, whatever. But something very interesting happens uh, at the end of the book of Genesis, uh, pretty much at the end, chapter 49. Both, um, both of his wives die. Leah dies and Rachel died. And when, when Rachel died, he married, he buried Rachel where she died in a strange land. But when Leah died, he made sure Leah was buried at the sacred burial ground that was purchased by Abraham, their father. And when, and he made it clear that when he died, he wanted to be buried there also. So it's, it sounds like that over time, Leah won Jacob's heart over. And, and, and over time, he grew to love Leah, his wife. And so this is a good example, I believe, of what First Peter chapter 3 is letting us know. The women have this grace, this ability, this power that can, that can command a man's heart if she, conduct, if she conducts herself the right way. And I believe that's why television, once again, 
is targeting women all the time, trying to get women to be bossy and mean and hard to get along with and and unreasonable and 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 this is the the image television is is, is showing women this is how you got to be like women this is how you got to be like women and once again this is why i believe paul and peter whenever they give marriage instruction they always address the woman first because they understood that women were going to be targeted and attacked in the last days this is good stuff people um so understand this understand as Christians, we got to be on guard. We got to be on guard. Okay. I'm, I'm running out of time here. So let me see if I can, um, continue on. What else I got? Um, let's go on down to, um, let's skip on down to verse 32 and, and close at verse 40. The first Corinthians chapter seven. So we're going to go on down to verse 32. Got a few minutes left. And we're going to close at verse 40. It says, but I would have you without carefulness. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belongeth to the Lord and how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world and how he may please his wife. Therefore, it is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cared for the things of the Lord that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world and how she may please her husband. So Paul's letting you know that the reason why he recommends you being single is you could do more for the Lord. That's obvious. You could do more for the Lord if you're a single person. We get that. Okay. Verse 35, uh, and this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you. He's not letting you, he's not saying that you have to be single. He's just letting you know, you know, single people can do more for the Lord. But for that which is comely and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Okay. <clears throat> now, uh, it's about to get a little confusing and I believe I got the answer for this confusion as well. Verse 36, uh, it reads, but if any man think that he behave himself comely towards his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and she needs so require, let him do what she will or what he will. He said, if not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will and hath so decree in his heart that he will keep his virgin doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, and he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? I've heard some people teach that this is talking about a man and his daughter. And it's not. It's not at all. What he's talking about is a man or a person and their virginity, their virginity. All you have to do is replace the word virgin with virginity and then it all falls in place. See, the, the word virgin uh, has a feminine tense. 
So that's why he uses her when he's talking about virgin, her. But he's talking about a person and their virginity. So let's go back up to verse 36 and read it. And we're going to insert the word virginity and watch it fall together. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncommonly towards his virginity, if it, if she, once again, that's that, that's that, uh, feminine tense. That's why he used she and her. If she passed the flower of her age and needeth no require, let him do what he will. He said, it's not, he said, if your virginity is becoming too much to deal with, he says, you don't sin, get married. Let those people, let those people marry. Okay. You don't sin. Verse 37, nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will and has so decree in his heart that he will keep his virginity doeth well. Okay. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, talking about virginity, and he that giveth her not in marriage, talking about virginity, doeth better. Okay, I hope that made sense for you. I hope that fell in place. Okay, verse 39. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to marry to whom she will only in the Lord. Now, that's what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about if an unbeliever departs, the Apostle Paul let you know you can marry again, but only another believer in the Lord this time. Get it right this time. Don't marry a non-believer. Verse 40, but she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the spirit of God. So he's like, this is my advice that you will be happier women if you stay single. Uh, but, and he's saying in my, and I feel like my advice is very, very good advice because I have the spirit of God. Okay. That was some good stuff. I think, I think that was a very informative, informative chapter. Uh, so, you know, I know some of you listeners out there, you might not agree with everything that's taught here and that, Hey, that's your right. I get that. I'm not suggesting that I'm always right about everything that I talk about, but bring it up in Bible study in Sunday school. It'd be a good discussion. Like I said, we need to talk about this stuff more. Why? Because we are failing in the area of marriage and our marriage has got to do better as we approach the last days. Amen. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to this week's broadcast. I'm your host, Tim Aaron. Um, you can also find out more about me on thiefinthenightministries.com. That's thiefinthenightministries.com. Um, when you're on the website, you can hit the contact us page and then you can shoot me an email and post me a question or a comment. I'd love to hear from you. That's thiefinthenightministries.com. Okay. I come on every Saturday at 5 p.m. Central Time. Uh, so tell family and friends about the ministry and about Brother Tutman, how he tries to keep it 100% Bible as best as possible. All right. Um, thank you for tuning in, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Above all things, I wish that you could prosper and be in good health, even as your servants. God bless. Take care. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope that you were blessed by the message from the Word of God. Come back next time for more of Get Your House in Order. I said, one dark morning, when this life is over, 
I'm gonna fly away. I'm leaving this cold world, going up yonder to that holy place. I'ma sit down, talk with Peter. Sit down, talk with Paul. And I'ma say, take me to Jesus, the one who really paid it all for me. This world. Get Your House in Order is copyright by Thief in the Night Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.